The House now comes to oral questions and question number one in the name of Tim Vandermolen. Thank you, Madam Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Finance. What recent reports has she seen on the economic outlook? Yesterday, the Reserve Bank released its February monetary policy statement. The Bank's Monetary Policy Committee, which makes its decisions about interest rates independent of the government, left the official cash rate unchanged at 5.5 per cent. The Bank clearly considers that inflation is coming down at an appropriate pace. Inflation has declined from a peak of 7.3 per cent in mid-2022 to 4.7 per cent in the December quarter and the bank's forecasts show it falling towards the 2% midpoint of the target band. What did the Reserve Bank say about the state of the New Zealand economy? Madam Speaker, the Reserve Bank noted that capacity pressures have eased significantly over the past year, largely as a result of restrictive monetary policy. Aggregate demand is now better matched with the supply capacity of the economy. These are positive developments, but the government is also conscious that New Zealanders with a mortgage or a business loan are feeling the effects of high interest rates. When inflation is under control and interest rates start to come down, people can spend more of their money on things that make a difference to them and their families. Tim Vandermolen. What did the Reserve Bank say about the state of the global economy? Madam Speaker, the Reserve Bank says that global economic growth remains below its trend. That has affected demand for New Zealand's exports, but it also means that inflation in many of our trading partners has declined more quickly than expected, reducing the global prices for imports to New Zealand. The bank highlights the fact that geopolitical and climate conditions remain a risk for inflation and mentions the recent conflict in the Red Sea and the drought affecting the Panama Canal as contributing to delays and increased global shipping costs. Tim Vandermolen. How should monetary and fiscal policy interact? Well, Madam Speaker, that is a very good question from the member. Fiscal policy, which the government determines, should not trample across monetary policy, which is set by the Reserve Bank. Unfortunately, in recent years, that is precisely what happened. The Reserve Bank was trying to fight inflation point while the government was busy fueling it. from the Honourable Kieran McAnulty. Madam Speaker, the Minister of Finance knows that questions from the government side should not be used to make an accusation towards the previous government. And it would be regrettable, I think, if she were to be trying it on because you happen to be in the chair today. Uh, Adam uh, Speaker. Yeah, um, I, I will uh, uphold uh, Honourable Kieran McAnulty's uh, point of order. Uh, that is correct, that um, there will be no... We'll make it clear to all ministers who are answering questions this afternoon that it is not an, opposition, an opportunity to attack the opposition. Uh, Madam, Madam Speaker, uh, perhaps I could... Is, to it, the, is this speaking to the point of order? Because yes. Honourable Nicola Willis was on her feet first. Speaking to the point of order, uh, the member asked a very good supplementary question about how monetary and fiscal policy should interact. A very yeah. fair question for a member of the House to ask. I talked about the interaction between fiscal policy and monetary yeah. policy, and in order to yeah. explain that fact, pointed to contemporary okay, so, events. So, okay, let, let me just say it wasn't a serious breach of the standing order, but we'll give a general direction to the House for this afternoon, um, and that we will carry on with the. Is this a new point of order? Uh, well, I, I, I do. I would like to speak to it, Madam Chair. Um, I know. I'd like yeah. you not to speak to it. Thank you, uh, Minister, Mr. Seymour. We've actually. Uh, I've said it wasn't a serious breach of the standing order. Uh, we're just making it very clear for today and I've, I've, I've made a ruling. Thank you. As a fresh point of order? Yes, Madam Chair. Uh, there is a distinction between the question being asked and the answer given. And the ruling actually applies to the question. Uh, it does not apply uh, to the answer being given. Uh, because otherwise it means that a minister in theory, can never actually criticise the opposition, and that seems incredibly unfair. Uh, I think there's a difference between criticising policy and actually um, attacking the opposition, and we haven't gone over the line, so we're not going to do it now, so I'll ask the Minister to... Uh, uh, yes, on, right, Honourable Winston-Peters. Uh, Madam Speaker, the reality is that this is a 
an environment which is a raging battle for political power, and it's been that way for decades and decades in great democracies, including New Zealand. I'm hearing... Excuse me, will you hear me in silence? Uh, That's what the first rule is. So would the, keep would quiet. The member, would the member carry on... You know so little about this business for a start. Is this a point of order? I know, Madam Speaker, but she was interjecting in the yeah, point of order, I, I and your job was to stop it. During points of order, please state your point. Thank of you order. very much. My point of order is: I believe your ruling is palpably and demonstrably wrong. You're saying that the thing, the, the challenge, is not being taken up in terms of the point of order it made. However, you're saying nobody on this side of the house can attack the other side of the house today. That, Madam Speaker, no, is not going to be accepted, I'm, whether it's your ruling or not. Would, would, would the member act, I've, I've actually made it very clear to the House that there is nothing wrong with answers to questions criticising policy of previous governments but not doing the attack uh, on the opposition. So that is my ruling for today. Thank you. Can I complete my answer? You can. Honourable Nicola Willis. Thank you. Mr Speaker, Well, as the question was relating to how monetary and fiscal policy interact, Mr Goldsmith, and fiscal policy, which the government determines, should not trample across monetary policy, which is set by the Reserve Bank. Unfortunately, by way of example, in recent years that is precisely what happened. The Reserve Bank was trying to fight inflation with higher interest rates, while the government was busy fuelling it with its high spending and ever-growing debt. By way of metaphor, Madam Speaker, there's no point that Reserve Bank being asked to put its hand on the brake if the government's hitting the accelerator at the same time. Question number two in the name of Honourable Dr Megan Woods. My question is to the Minister for Resources. What advice, if any, has he sought or received on the implication of bonds for oil and gas companies and or changes to oil and gas decommissioning legislation that he has indicated he is considering? Speaker. Um, Winston Peters. On behalf of the Minister for Resources, um, I've heard time and time again from Ministry that sovereign risk is a major barrier to investment in oil and gas in New Zealand. This sovereign risk is a result of the economic vandalism threatened by some and their woke fellow travellers who have no comprehension at all of international business and investment. I have therefore sought advice on how to improve investor confidence, including the best way to reduce the sovereign risk and ensure that changes to the cumbersome decommissioning regime balances regulatory burden and crown risk. I am advised that under a former administration, gas supply could run out within the next five years. It's not because of a shortage of gas, but a shortage of investment and political wisdom. Supplementary question. What people, organisations, groups or lobbyists has he discussed the potential for compensation bonds for multinational oil and gas companies and or changes to oil and gas decommissioning that puts the New Zealand taxpayer in the liable seat? Quite <laughs> extraordinary. This is a case I've seemed to have been here for a long time and learned nothing. Uh, I've heard from Ministry that the decommissioning provisions introduced by the previous government are onerous. They are discouraging investment and the long-term security of our gas supply is now in question. And if I was responsible for the closure of Marsden Point, thereby imperiling our very critical supply in a time of a supply emergency, I'd be keeping my mouth shut. I have asked officials to look into any changes that will encourage operators to continue to invest in New Zealand's energy security while continuing to protect taxpayers. The number of people are all those who are interested in making an investment in New Zealand but are too threatened by the regime that the previous government left here. Point of order, Madam Speaker. Point of order, Honourable Dr Megan. That was, a, that was a very specific question. It asked the Minister what people, organisations, groups or lobbyists that, had, that this, um, this idea had been discussed with. It was a very full answer, but it in no way addressed that very specific question. Point, speaking to the point of Madam, order... Madam, if that minimum wanted that answer, then an uh, Official Information Act request would have satisfied it. But if someone turned up here and said... If someone turned up here as a minister and said, I've got five pages I want to read out, Madam, you'd be stopping me. Supplementary question. Honourable Dr Megan Woods. What was the cost to the New Zealand taxpayer of having to clean up the mess of Tamarind when the company left New Zealand because we had lax decommissioning laws that that minister is now looking to bring back? 
With respect, Madam Chair, I am not going to answer a question which was in the purview of the previous administration, administration and minister. It has got nothing to do with this government whatsoever. And it's unbelievable that we have standing orders and speakers' rulings, and some people have been here for all those years and seemingly have learnt nothing. Supplementary question. Has he sought advice whether the issuing of compensation bonds to multinational oil and gas companies would be in contravention of our international commitments to abolish fossil fuel subsidies? Can I make it very clear that New Zealand is dedicated to a clean energy transition and meeting our emissions targets. This government is committed to deliver net zero by 2050 including by doubling New Zealand's renewable electricity and removing consenting barriers. And on the question of the cost of bonds being somehow legal, again, if that was the allegation by way of question, why wasn't it uh, supported here by some evidentiary fact and rather just a suspicion? This is not complex. Other countries have done that already, which is the reason why those countries have investment and we have lost all of it. Supplementary question. Has he sought advice on whether compensation bonds to multinational oil and gas companies would contravene New Zealand's free trade agreement with the EU? Right, Honourable the answer to that question is that the Minister has made it clear, and this person I'm standing in from today, but he's made it very clear that he's merely written to these people for their views and their ideas. This should not be constructed as a decision which some in the press gallery are loath to do. Any statement of open consultation these days, these days is construed as a final outcome. No, it's not. It's called a new administration that has come to this, uh, uh, this position in government where we think that consultation and listening is very important. Supplementary question. Which people has he written to? Again, uh, Madam Chair, if that member wanted that, then there should have been a request under the Official Information Act. Because if I had to come down here, if I had to come down here with five pages of names and addresses of those people we've written to, I'd be stopped in the house for wasting the house's time. Now, please catch up. I know it's early 2024, but this is serious, and there could be many decades waiting around to be a good opposition. Point of order, Madam Speaker. Um, I'm just seeking some guidance from you. This is parliamentary oral question time, whether it is the role of Parliament to hold ministers to account by way of questions, both on notice and supplementary. Am I correct in understanding the uh, minister answering on behalf of the Minister of Resources is saying they will no longer be doing that, instead only the Official Information Act will be the way in which Parliament can hold the executive to account? Okay, so um, the OIA doesn't replace oral questions. Um, members are entitled to seek information through questions, uh, but what I will note in this situation is that the minister is answering on behalf of another minister, and it would be appropriate if the minister it doesn't have the answer to that question, it would be best to say so. Supplementary question. Honourable Dr Megan Woods. How is it fair to New Zealand taxpayers to ask them to underwrite multi-billion, multinational oil and gas companies return to New Zealand and then shoulder the clean-up and decommissioning costs when they leave without paying their bills? The answer to that is that this country's supply of gas is imperilled for the next five years now and no planning board has been admitted. Worse still, it's been stopped. And we have the same time Marsden Point, which right now is being threatened in supply, been allowed to close down its supply, when in a critical phrase of uh, non-supply to this country by tankers, we could have supplied 50% of the country's critical needs. So here's a country in desperate need of a forward plan, and what we've got here is someone trying to say the poor taxpayer is going to pay. Now, I tell you what the taxpayer is going to be paying for. They'll be, paying, they'll be paying for a shutdown economy brought about by people who came to Parliament with no idea how business works. Question number three is in the name of James Meagher. Mr. Speaker, to the Minister of Police, what reports has he seen recently on the policing of gangs? Honourable Mark Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Recently, as reported, I was present as six gold-plated Harley-Davidson motorcycles, formerly the prized possessions of the Comancheros, were shredded into scrap metal. This is consistent with this government's approach to gangs and their ill-gotten gains. 
Silence while questions are being asked, please. James Meagher. What message does it send to the gangs when police crush six of their gold-plated Harley Davidsons? <laughs> it sends the message that police will keep crushing pressure on gangs, their illegal, nefarious and violent activities and assets. James Meagher. Uh, have there been any gang convoys recently? And if so, did police's response meet his expectations? Yes. The policing of gang convoys is much tougher now, with police controlling the convoys and protecting the rights of law-abiding Kiwis over and above those of criminal gangs. Honourable Ginny Anderson. Thank you very much. Uh, can the Minister please outline what legislation was used uh, for both the confiscation of the vehicles mentioned and also for the policing of the, the convoys that the Minister has mentioned? Oh, I think it was probably legislation that Stuart Nash brought in because actually he was a, he was a very good police minister, unlike the three that followed him. Submentary. James Meagher. Are there any recent government announcements that will help police ramp up their crackdown on gangs? Too good. Yes. On Sunday, Minister Goldsmith, Minister McKee and I announced part of the coalition government's proposed crackdown on gangs, including banning gang patches and insignia in public, dispersal notices, non-consorted orders, and making gang membership an aggravating factor at sentencing. Gangs destroy lives and communities, and the free ride is over under this coalition government. Honourable Jenny Anderson. If, if 12 frontline police officers have gone public to say that this gang patch ban is unworkable and that they are not resourced to enforce it, how does he justify to the New Zealand public introducing this legislation? I can justify it because, unlike the Labor Party, who are gang apologists, we have a deeply capable New Zealand police force that is motivated and wants to go out there and protect the communities that they serve and clamp down on gangs. Question number four in the name of Honourable Kieran McAnulty. Thank you, Madam Speaker. To the Minister of Housing, does he stand by all his statements on social housing? Yes. Supplementary. Does he agree with National MP Tamapotaka, who said on the 9th of September 2023 that, quote, National will increase the number of social housing places funded by government, end quote? Yes. How many social housing places will the government fund on top of that already funded by the previous government? Well, the member will have to wait until the budget. Will he commit to providing for new public housing places of at least the same level of funding that currently exists beyond 2025? Well, the member will have to wait for the budget, but what I would say is that uh, this is yet another fiscal cliff left to us by the... I'd like to be able to hear the answer, please. Interjections are fine, think, but, but think, it's a little loud. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think the member who's yelling out, who's a former um, Minister of Housing, will, will recall that the funding for social housing places uh, ceases after June 2025. So that is indeed a fiscal cliff. Uh, the reality is the last government didn't fund places beyond 2025 into 2026 or 2027 because they wanted to uh, create the illusion of a surplus uh, later on. Honourable Kieran McInerney. Will the Minister permit Kainga or officials to meet with me to provide a briefing in person on the current state of social housing? <laughs> well, the, the member's written to me, so I'm not quite sure why he needs to ask a written, an oral question about it. I'm happy for the member to uh, meet with Kainga Ora, uh, as I'm indeed happy for, for all members of parliament to meet with Kainga Ora to get a briefing on what they're up to in their particular local areas, uh, or indeed the opposition spokesperson. I would also say the member should wait for the independent review chaired by Sir Bill English that's coming back. Uh, I suspect he will be interested in the answers to the review questions. Question number five in the name of Suze Redmayne. Thank you, Madam Speaker. My question is to the Minister for Small Business and Manufacturing. What recent announcements has he made relating to small businesses? Honourable Andrew Bailey. Thank you, Madam Chair. 
Last week I announced that the Government will repeal the Business Payment Practices 2023. Uh, this piece of legislation was an ineffective, costly solution to the problem of large market players paying invoices late, and evidence from abroad supports the repeal of the Act. To address the issues of paying SMEs quicker, this Government has announced a range of measures that focus on ensuring government agencies and large firms pay on time and encourage a much wider uptake of e-invoicing. These alternatives will effectively support small businesses and unlock productivity benefits for the New Zealand economy. What reports or evidence has he seen that supports the repeal of the Act? Madam Speaker, back in 2020, Australia implemented a very similar scheme named the Payment Times Reporting Act. A recent independent review of the scheme's effectiveness found that despite imposing significant IT compliance costs on businesses, overall payment times had not reduced. How will he ensure that government departments and Crown entities pay small businesses in a timely manner? Madam Speaker, I'm working with the Minister of Finance to ensure government departments and, in time, some Crown entities meet the 10-day payment time target. Furthermore, we will incentivise SMEs to adopt e-invoicing by reducing government entity payment times to an expected target of five working days, thereby significantly improving their cash flow. We will also proactively publish payment times on the MB website. Supplementary. Supplementary question, Helen White. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, <laughs> what does what does he say? What does the minister say to my constituent who worked as a sole trader for one of our biggest companies and um, had his payments consistently and mindfully delayed by three months? Is that fair and reasonable practice? Thank you for the question. Uh, no, it's not fair. But we will be working with an industry code, which I'm just about to talk uh, about, with uh, Business New Zealand to make sure that uh, large businesses do meet their requirements. That's the biggest focus. And also, we think it's important that the government takes a lead in terms of showing good payment time practices. And that's why our reforms are focused on that as the first, in the first instance. Speaker. Suze Redmayne. What measures will he take to ensure large firms are promptly paying small businesses? Uh, Madam Speaker, as I've just noted, I'm working with Business New Zealand to establish an industry-wide uh, voluntary code similar to the Business Council's, Council's uh, of Australia's Supplier Payment Code. I intend for this to be part of a broader commitment by large firms to adopt payment practices that benefit smaller firms and particularly to encourage e-invoicing because we want to see greater digitisation of small businesses. Question number six is in the name of the Honourable Jean Tanetti. Thank you, Madam Speaker. To the Minister of Education, does she stand by all her statements and actions? Madam Speaker. Honourable David Seymour. On behalf of the Minister, yes, and I'm particularly pleased by this government's rapid response to the state of school property by the announcement of a ministerial inquiry. I was dismayed to hear of the mould situation of Somerville School and of projects up and down the country that have not been delivered in a timely manner for schools. I read recently in media, Maclean's College in Auckland had funded and built five new classrooms in nine months after being advised by the Ministry of Education it would take three years to deliver the same learning spaces. They did it for two and a half million dollars and the Ministry then commented they were surprised it could be done so cost effectively, thinking it should have cost over twice that. Uh, this government is committed to improving the delivery of school property for the benefit of teachers and learners up and down the country, and an inquiry into how it went so wrong is the first step in that. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Does she stand by her guarantee of the 27th of February that there will be no cuts to school property capital expenditure? If not, why not? Uh, Mr Speaker, on behalf of the uh, Minister, yes, absolutely, uh, she stands uh, by that statement. 
But I think the, gov the opposition is going to have a real problem here and that they have confused spending money with delivering results. Uh, and this, so, you know, because if, 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 if spending $100 billion of borrowed money on every problem actually worked, this country wouldn't have any problems after the last government. And that's why this government is conducting a review, not to ensure that we spend a huge amount of money, but to ensure that the kids and the teachers get the classrooms they need to do the learning this country needs. <laughs> Honourable Nicola Willis. Uh, has the uh, Minister heard an interview between one Mike Hoskin and the outgoing Minister of Education, Jan Tineri, in which she claimed that if more funding was needed for education, you simply appropriated me, it because um, New Zealand doesn't... The question is out of order. The Minister has no responsibility. Um, Honourable John Agentinetti. <laughs> does she does her guarantee include the Ministry of Education's school property team, given that the Secretary of Education has said that we wouldn't have built the thousands of classrooms that we have if we didn't have them? Uh, Madam Speaker, um, on behalf of uh, the Minister, um, I'm in uh, possession of correspondence uh, from well-respected uh, Auckland prop property engineering firms who say you could easily get rid of 75% of the Auckland Ministry of Education staff and be better off. However, this government takes a much uh, more benign uh, view of the role of public servants, and we will be ensuring that those people who are productive and useful for delivering outcomes for the teachers, the kids and the parents are well employed and properly guided to do the job properly, which may initially be a surprise to them after the last six years of Chris Hipkins and Jan Tanetti, but I think they're up for it. Honourable Jan Tanetti. Will she guarantee that the requested 7.5% cuts to the education budget will have no impact on kids and their learning, and if not, why not? Uh, Madam Speaker, yes, absolutely. And it might be worth putting a, a little bit of historical context here. Um, and Madam Speaker, I'm, I'm mindful of your ruling that questions cannot be used to attack the opposition. But what do you do when the opposition asks a question that invites an attack on the opposition? Because, Madam Speaker, we have seen the number of bureaucrats employed at the Ministry of Education increase in the past six years from 2,500 to 4,400, and yet fewer kids are going to school. Point of order. Fewer... I have a point of order from the Honourable Karen McAnulty, um, I'm going to anticipate, but I'm going to let you ask the question. Silence, points of order will be taken in silence. I mean, the clue was in, I'm mindful of your ruling, but. And everything after that was in direct contradiction to the ruling you gave the House. Yeah, uh, look, I, I get that, but there's also, uh, at times, uh, some of the questions actually uh, are, are encouraging of a bit of feedback as well. So. Uh, I asked the minister, do, was the minister, have you completed your... Um, Not even close, Madam Speaker. <laughs> uh, uh, no, keep it, keep it short, but complete what you need to say. Well, Madam Speaker, the question is, is a good one. Will, will the fiscal pressure this government finds itself under um, with its, its fiscal inheritance affects uh, teaching and learning for students? And the answer, I can unequivocally say, is absolutely not. And the reason that's possible is that there has been so much waste in the past six years that you can reduce expenditure by 6.5% very easily. Hell, some of our coalition partners in this government would go a lot further. Honourable Nicola Willis. Supplementary, uh, Madam Speaker, to the Minister. Uh, in taking this course of action in which the government works to drive more value from every dollar it invests in the education system so as to improve achievement, has he considered an alternative approach in which the government simply appropriates money from the magic money tree at the end of the garden? Madam Speaker, uh, uh, yeah. on behalf of the Minister. Uh, point of order, Honourable Dr Duncan Webb. 
I would really rise to my feet, but that's the second occasion that that member has flaunted the rules of this House, and it's grossly disorderly. Uh, just, yeah, just a moment. I'm just going to um, just ask for a piece of advice on that uh, question, please. Yep, the question is not in order, uh, the, and we'll move on to the next question. Uh, Ingrid Leary. How is it value for taxpayers' money for Anderson's Bay School in Dunedin to sink five years and $750,000 into plans for four new classrooms, only to have the Minister suddenly cut that to two new classrooms, in other words, cut in half? Madam, Spe Madam Speaker. Madam Speaker. Honourable David Seymour. Madam Speaker. Um, I, I hope that the students uh, at Anderson's Bay Primary uh, go on to learn economics better than that member has. Um, you see, there's a thing, Madam Speaker, called the sunk cost fallacy, and just because money has been spent on something in the past does not mean that continuing to waste money is a good idea. Madam Speaker, Anderson's Bay Primary will have its property needs uh, catered to by this government and it will be done in a much more responsible and prudent way than they might have expected over the last six years. Question number seven is in the name of Honourable Ginny Anderson. Thank you, Madam Speaker. To the Minister of Police, does he stand by his statement, we're going to make sure that the front line are resourced properly? If so, do police have adequate staffing to enforce the banning of gang patches? Madam Speaker, yes and yes. Does he expect the gang patch ban will be enforced in Wairua, Opotiki and Takaha? Yes, I do. Given that Opotiki has only two full-time frontline officers and also covers Takaha, how will they remove the jackets of the approximate 1,400 gang members who live in the area? Well, the police have got the capability and the will to enforce a gang ban that this, that this government is passing. The opposition and Harry Tam may not like it, but uh, that is what is happening. It wasn't related to the question. Madam Speaker, I don't think that was even addressing the question. I, 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 do think, I do think that the first part of the question actually did address the answer. Uh, as I had previously called to the member that the last part of the question went a bit too far. Thank you. Supplementary. Given the concerns that have been publicly outlined by frontline officers on enforcing the gang patch ban, how does he explain to the New Zealand public a 6.5% cut to the police budget? Well, government's going through a cost-saving exercise because of the uh, vandalism, economic vandalism of the previous government. Um, and I've got full confidence in our New Zealand police and their capability. On this side of the House, we back them to go out and do the job. And the, and the police officers that I talk to, and there's a lot of them, they're very keen to get out there and use these new tools. Given the Western Australian gang patch ban simply displaced gangs over the state border, does he consider that this law change will simply displace gang members? Hey, quiet, quiet during questions, please. Would the, minute, would the member please start that question again? Given the Western Australian gang patch ban simply displaced gangs over the state border, does he consider that this law change will simply displace gang members to parts of New Zealand where police are not resourced to enforce the law? Well, I, I, I think... Uh, We've got a point of order from the Honourable Grant Robertson. Madam Speaker, you ruled when the member rose to ask her question that the question needed to be uh, done in silence. Yes. Immediately afterwards, the Deputy Prime Minister began interjecting on the question. Look, I, I would I, ask that he be called to account for that and asked to withdraw and apologise. I actually think that it wasn't only the Deputy Prime Minister. There were more people over that side of the room that actually didn't uh, follow that instruction. So thank you for the point of order. Um, I'm, not, I'm, going, I'm going to be watching very carefully from here on in. Uh, point of order, Tim Vandermolen. 
Thank you, Madam Speaker. Is this a new point of order? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's in relation to uh, a series of questions we've seen asked now where they're not actually starting as a question. They start with a statement, which is clearly out of line with Speaker's rulings, given, as the example, given this, etc. And so, unsurprisingly, that's elicited a response, which I accept is outside of standing orders in terms of speaking during questions, but it's because the question itself was out of order. Right. Uh, look. Yes, Honourable Kerry McInulty. I appreciate Mr Van der Mollen uh, accepting that they were speaking during the question. Could we have an extra supplementary for Honourable Ginny Anderson, please? Um, no, but I will invite Honourable Ginny Anderson to ask that question again, um, not start with the word given, that members on this side will be quiet and then the Minister might be able to answer the question. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Does the Minister consider that the gang patch ban will simply displace gang members to parts of New Zealand where police are not resourced to enforce the new law? Uh, no, but I hope that um, in the example she gave with Western Australia shows that the gang patch ban was working um, because they wanted to leave. And I hope, that, um, I hope that our gang patch ban forces them over the border as well. Question number eight, in the name of quiet, please, we're about to have a question. Question number eight, in the name of Cameron Luxton. Thank you, Madam Speaker. To the Minister for Biosecurity, what announcements has he made recently that demonstrate the government's commitment to biosecurity? Honourable Andrew Hoggard. Thank you, Madam Speaker. On Friday, I announced a $5 million boost to the Upper North Island community's fight against the invasive seaweed Cholerpra. This exotic pest arrived in 2021 and has now been found in five locations across Northland and Greater Auckland. This thing spreads fast, forming thick meadows on the seabed, potentially impacting native species and changing the marine ecosystem. It is affecting some unique and important areas of New Zealand. That's why we are committed to action. Supplementary? Cameron Luxton. Thank you, no, thank you uh, Madam Speaker. Uh, how will this additional funding support the fight against Colupra? It will support a range of new and scaled-up actions. In particular, it will be used to develop suction dredge technology currently being tested in Northland. Innovative people are trialling some gear that suctions up the seaweed off the floor from with a barge, avoiding the need to put divers in the water. My parliamentary colleagues Mark Cameron and Grant McCallum and I got the chance to go out on the barge and look at the equipment. Results so far are promising and indicate that with some technical tweaks it would work at large scale. This will allow us to further test local elimination in areas such as Omakiwi Cove. Cameron Luxton. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Uh, what are the next steps in the fight against Kalupa? Full eradication of a marine pest like Colupra that takes hold on the C4 and spreads so fast is difficult. Technical advice so far has been that fully eradicating it from New Zealand will be extremely challenging and unlikely with current technology. But this investment will still make a difference for the environment and for the people affected. I equate it to controlling Californian thistles on farms. You may not get to a point where you completely eradicate them, but you can get to a point where you've minimised the impact on the farm. Question number nine is in the name of the Honourable David Parker. Uh, thank you, Madam Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Has he agreed to find savings of 6.5 per cent in the spending within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade? Right, Honourable Winston uh, Peters. As that member will well know, all conversations with all colleagues, including the Prime Minister and, most importantly, the Minister of Finance, are confidential. However, uh, we are pressing on and to ensure that uh, on Budget Day that member will know, and so that then the only uncertainty at that point in time will be whether or not he is rightfully the leader of the Labour Party. Well, that last no. bit was a bit unnecessary. <laughs> Honourable David Parker. There's no risk of that. Uh, supplementary. Uh, did, did the request... <laughs> okay, we're having a question in silence, please. I know that was I know that was called for, but we'll have quite silence. Did, Thank did you. the request for savings encompass expenditure by MFAT on overseas development assistance? Uh, as that member will know, well know, by past experience, uh, over the years it's been enormously difficult 
for this country to uh, replicate what happened under Norman Kirk, where that was most properly addressed, but still less than one than 0.7 per cent. Now, my point here right now is that uh, in past times, enormous struggles, but successfully twice, and he was there at the time, we did get the turnaround of respect as a consequence. And like every uh, person running in this portfolio, then and focusing offshore and knowing that our very recoveries depend upon our success as an export nation and that such expenditure of course is anti-inflationary we look forward with confidence to a very positive outcome supplementary honorable david uh, uh, it sounds uh, like the the minister is aware that during the period when he was minister of foreign affairs under uh, the prime ministership of helen clark from 2005 to 2008 and again from 2017 to 2020, those governments lifted ODA as a percentage of gross national income. Is he also aware that during the intervening period it dropped? And if so, what will he to do to resist efforts to drop ODA as a percentage of GNI during this government? I'm very pleased that members raised that issue because when he said the intervening period, he means 2020 to 2023. Ah, oh, yes. It's target, it's target to go to 0.23 now. We left it at 0.34 when we left. Oh, yes, we did. Oh, yes, we did. And I can say under Helen Clark, it wasn't so difficult. She understood foreign policy. But in 2017, and Mr Parker knows that, it was desperately difficult to try and extract out of people what was critically needed to this country's long-term image offshore and gain the respect we possibly need. Honourable David Parker. Has he seen reports this week that the governments of the Federated States of Micronesia, Palau and the Marshall Islands have written to the USA government about the destabilising effect of uncertainty with USA ODA, saying this plays into the hands of other actors in the Pacific? Uh, thank you, the member, for that. And uh, he's quite right. Yes, I have. But on two counts, first of all, I've also contacted the United States myself with respect to those three critical countries. And the second thing is I'm in discussions with this government to ensure that when it comes to our turn, first known in Budget 2024, we are doing the right thing. Supplementary. Honourable David Parker. So then can he confirm that given the crucial importance of New Zealand's ODA into the Pacific, both to unlock the potential of our Pacific neighbours and to guard against other influences, it is crucial that New Zealand's aid as a percentage of GNI does not drop. I want to thank that member for that very insightful question as well, because it has dropped. It is targeted to go to 0.23. This is shocking. And uh, in 2017, we were facing it going to 0.21. Now, I shouldn't have to come back time after time and try and save an industry, but we are. And that member knows more about it than anybody else because he was a Minister of Trade at the time. And unfortunately, the COVID circumstances stopped us making any progress in India. But we're back doing all the same things this time, though, uh, with the uh, assistance of this budgetary money. It is our intention to get a result in India as fast as we possibly can. Question 10 is in the name of Greg O'Connor. Thank you, uh, Madam Speaker. To the Minister of Courts. Is she concerned that the impact of government policy combined with the 6.5 reduction in funding will exacerbate the pressure on the courts? Madam Speaker. Nicole no. McKay. Honourable Nicole McKay. No. But what I am concerned about is resolving the growing court backlog that was allowed to persist under his party's watch since 2017. Supplementary. How does the Minister intend to reduce the backlog of court cases while also delivering 6.5 per cent cuts in funding? Madam Speaker, this government has inherited backlogs caused by more recent unpredictable events such as Cyclone Gabriel and the flooding in Auckland, which caused some of our busiest courthouses to close. We are actively working on developing law which will increase the efficiency and effectiveness of court services and address the backlog that the Labour Party left no, behind. The last bit of that answer we would probably be better without. Greg O'Connor. Uh, further supplementary then, uh, what initiatives has the Minister introduced to reduce the backlog in court cases since the 24th of November 2023? Honourable Nicole McKee. Madam Speaker, 
This, this government is actively considering policy and legislation to reduce the court backlogs that Labor failed to clear. And in the year since January 2023 alone, there's been a 3% increase in the district court criminal backlog, rising to a total backlog of 37% of active cases. Our 100-day plan includes commitments to increase the efficiency of court proceedings and clean up the mess left behind. Uh, the member can order, expect um, an announcement uh, on this We've got a point of order from Greg the question was quite clear. What initiatives? She's outlined the problem. Um, what initiatives has she introduced? Uh, I believe the member did talk about initiatives in the 100-day plan. So um, does the member have a further supplementary well, question? Well, I'd, I'm keen to know what those initiatives are. Would, would, um, would the member like to expand on those initiatives? It's a point of order, Madam Speaker. Yeah, it's a point of order. Um, yeah. Speaking to the point of order, yeah. uh, Madam Speaker, you already said that I addressed the question, so if he wants to ask another supplementary, I'm quite happy to answer that. Uh, no, I actually said that you had addressed the 100-day plan. The member now just has raised in his point of order, did you want to extend on that or not? The choice is yours. Madam Speaker, I believe I answered the first part of his Thank question. Thank you. Where you go, Connor? Um, what initiatives has the Minister introduced to reduce the backlog in court cases since 24 November 2023? Madam Speaker, I'm so happy to let that member on that side know that this government is going to be releasing, as part of our 100-day plan, early next week, our initiatives to address the mess that was left behind for us to fix. Supplementary Paul Goldsmith. When can we expect her to announce new policy which will provide effective solutions for reducing court backlogs? Thank you, Honourable Minister of Justice. I am pleased to inform you that we can expect this announcement outlining how this government plans to address the court backlogs left behind by the Labour Party very early next week. Can I thank that member for saving me a supplementary question? <laughs> what is the projected increase in the number of court cases as a result of the government's proposed legislation banning gang patches? Madam Speaker, legislative changes to crack down on the gangs are the responsibility of my colleague, the Honourable Minister of Justice, Paul Goldsmith. We work closely to ensure that the system-level implications of such policies are well understood and accounted for in our decision-making. Question number nine in the name of Reuben. Oh, sorry, sorry, the member still had another. Is that okay? Right, thank you. Question number 11 in the name of Reuben Davidson. Thank you, Madam Speaker. My question is to the Minister for Media and Communications. Quiet. Does she stand by all her statements? Madam Speaker. Honourable Melissa Lee. Uh, thank you, Madam Speaker. Yes, including the clarification I made yesterday. Supplementary. Does she stand by her statement that New Zealanders can just watch Sky News? And is she aware of who produces Sky News's New Zealand content? Plurality is really important to me that people actually have choices. Despite Warner Brothers' discovery announcement, I'm confident that New Zealand news media continues to have a diverse range of voices and perspectives available on multiple platforms. We know audience behaviour is changing. New Zealanders uh, now access media in a variety of ways, including on their phones. All media outlets are facing similar changes. And that is why my focus is on wider broadcasting reforms to modernise our media systems and streamline the regulatory environment. I'll be closely monitoring the impact of the News Hub's proposal over the coming months. And as I said yesterday, even with a potentially the um, uh, diverse uh, range, uh, we do need to look after to make sure that New Zealand news is fair and New Zealanders actually have New Zealand news online as well as broadcast. Point of order. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm picking up on the point of order. I'd just like to ask the member 
to repeat, there was a there was a clear question. Is that the m member's point of order about? You know what? I couldn't have said that better myself, Madam Speaker. Right. Could you just repeat the? Que there was a specific question in your question about, um, yeah, Sky. Yeah. I'll repeat the question in full. Does she stand by her statement that New Zealanders can just watch Sky News? And is she aware of who produces Sky News or Sky News's New Zealand content? Yeah. As I said, I have actually clarified my comments as well. And when I said that... Uh, I think for the, for the member, if it's helpful, it was really just about the production of, of Sky was the piece of the question that the member was looking for. Sky News that I was referring to actually yeah. is produced by News Hub. Yes, that's right. Does the member have another question? Yeah, Reuben Davidson. Who does she support? Some of the most powerful and profitable companies that have ever existed, or the local producers of online news, such as the Gisborne Herald and the Ashburton Guardian? And what, if any, plans do the government have to support local media? Point of order, Chris Bishop. Um, Honourable Mr. Chris Speaker. Bishop. The, member, the minister has no responsibility, whether she likes it or not, for the Gisborne Herald. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking to the point of order, Honourable Kieran McInulty. As has always been the case, mini, um, members are able to ask supplementaries that directly relate to an answer provided by a minister. Now, in the answer given by the minister, she talked about her support for the New Zealand media. It's entirely appropriate for the member to seek some clarification of what she meant by that. Yeah, I, and look, and there is an answer. If the minister has no responsibility, um, there is, that's an answer as well. So I would encourage, has the minister got uh, the question? Because if the minister has no responsibility, it's quite okay for the minister to actually stand up and say that. That's fine. I have no responsibility for the production of the news, but I can actually say is that uh, as a former journalist, I am very supportive of New Zealand production of news. Reuben Davidson. Supplementary. What commitment, if any, can the media industry expect from the government, given that there were no commitments to media in the National Party Manifesto or the 100-day plan? Honourable Melissa Lee. Uh, thank you very much for that question. Um, considering the fact that um, when... Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery came for help in the previous government's uh, Minister of Broadcasting and they said no. I can say that that is a very rich question coming from the member. Um, perhaps that is actually new. Um, <laughs> okay. Everyone actually understands. Everyone actually understands that the media sector is struggling. This is a worldwide issue, and there is no silver bullet that can solve this problem. However, this government is committed to working with the sector on ways to ensure sector sustainability while still preserving the independence of the fourth estate. There is a range of work underway that aims to ensure the media can continue to function in the current changing landscape. Supplementary. A supplementary question from the Honourable Chris Bishop. Supplementary question. Mr Speaker, what, what reports, if any, has the Minister seen into how much money the previous government spent on the failed RNZ-TVNZ merger? Honourable... There's no way. There's no way. Honourable... Order. Point of order. Honourable... As was covered in great detail yesterday by Speaker Brownlee, such questions... Point of order is in silence as well, so that's the second point. The first point is that Mr. Uh, Speaker Brownlee made it very clear that those sorts of assertions, particularly from government members asking ministers, are entirely out of order. Honourable Chris Bishop. Well, firstly, the question is most definitely in order in the sense that uh, if, if questions about the Gisborne Herald and the so-called most powerful people in the media are in order, which was Reuben Davidson's uh, supplementary about three ago, are in order. A question about a, a policy of just three years ago is most definitely in order. Secondly, it is a matter of fact that the merger failed. Uh, it started, then the, government, the previous government decided not to continue with it. That is not an assertion. It's not political. It is a matter of fact. In fact, the Leader of the Opposition at the time almost described it in those words. Okay, so having had that discussion and those points of order, um, I rule that the Minister has no responsibility for the previous government. Does Reuben Davidson have... 
Paul, the, the, um, speaking to that point, point of order, the question was about reports. The question was about reports the Minister yeah. had received into that. I would have thought, Mr Speaker, as the new Minister of Broadcasting, yeah. no, uh, look, she may well have received a report. I, I've ruled. We're going to move on. Has Reuben Davidson got supplementary questions? Given the immediate crisis, will she commit today as Minister of Broadcasting to fast-tracking the fair digital news bargaining bill to ensure our independent media entities can survive? Honourable Thank Melissa you for Lee. the question. The bill is currently being considered by the Select Committee and I don't want to preempt their report. Okay. However, the government's position on this legislation will obviously take into account these latest developments in terms of wider media landscape. This government is committed to working with the sector on ways to ensure sector sustainability while still preserving the independence of our fourth estate and avoiding market interference. Question number 12 is in the name of Tanya Ankovic. My question is to the Prime Minister. Uh, I'm sorry. Does he stand by all his statements and actions? Right Honourable Winston Peters. Uh, yes, and particularly the actions we have taken to fulfil our coalition agreement commitments as a government can, of progress. Can I please clarify uh, this is on behalf of the Prime Minister? I'm just asking for a, on behalf of the Prime Minister, please. Thank you. Yes, just yeah. for the House, just to keep the House in order, I want to keep that. Well, you clarified. could have said that, Madam Chair, on behalf, Mr. Peters, on behalf of the Prime Minister. Yeah. But you left it to me, so I'll say it myself. Thank on you. On behalf of the Prime Minister. Thank you. Listen, I, there's no use trying to get you to catch up now. <laughs> so, on behalf of the Prime Minister. In particular, the actions we have taken to fulfil our coalition agreement commitments as a government of progress and delivery and to undo the damage caused over the last three years. Supplementary, Madam Tanya Speaker. What updates can he provide on the progress of the government coalition agreements? Uh, Madam Speaker, uh, in this government's first, uh, very first week, we reserved a decision against international health regulation. We have also stopped all work on the separatist agenda called Hey Poor Poor, kept secret by the last government, repealed the Natural Build Environment Act and Spatial Planning Act, abolished the failing Maori Health Authority to ensure we focus on the delivering better health care for all of those uh, who need it most, including Maori and non-Maori, based on need, not some woke concept. Uh, in addition, we have focused on the three R's, reading, writing and arithmetic, with one hour on each day subject Oh, did you hear what she said? That's two hours. See what the problem is? She doesn't even get the great okay. feeling all around Western society where they spoke English. It was three hours, but genius over here knows better. Supplementary. Thank you, Madam Speaker. <clears throat> what other coalition agreement commitments are still to come? Well, already come and coming, but we've increased the minimum wage. Repeal the. Re, well, we were the ones that put it up in the first place, not Labor. We all know that. They, they forgot all about it. We had to push it there in the first place. It's all there, it's all a fact, and Grant Robinson knows it. So now we're on to the second matter. It could be all day. Repeal the hopeless clean car discount. Repeal fair pay agreements and expanded 90 day trials to apply to all business so that more workers can get a job. And we've also gone on to ensure, and this comes 100 day plan, we have excited about these following commitments, and that is fast-tracking the consent bill which will seriously supercharge development in this country. And most excitingly, 60 square metre homes can get, with an, engineer, with an engineer's report, permission to build. This is the kind of stuff that Peter Fraser and the great Labour Party, the great Labour Party that understood workers would understand, but they have utterly forgotten. Supplementary, Madam Speaker. Tanya Ankovic. Thank you, Madam Speaker. What update can he provide on the Coalition's commitment to a COVID inquiry? Uh, speaker, we're at the stage where we are examining a wider set of terms of reference for the World Commission on Inquiry into COVID-19. What we know is that the existing terms of reference are currently inadequate and that this government is seeking public submissions to expand those terms 
on the basis that we need at the end of this inquiry to have public confidence in the process and in the outcomes. And so my message to submitters is to visit the website and make a submission. And they have until 24th of March before submissions close. And for those who are processing over there, how on earth do they think they'd ever get a proper inquiry if they didn't have proper terms of reference? An inquiry designed to cover your derriere is not an inquiry. Supplementary question. Honourable Dr Megan Woods. To the Prime Minister, will he commit to finally visiting with the Christchurch Muslim community prior to introducing amendments to the gun legislation? I can tell that member that better than that. I was down there no, with... Prime Minister. Oh, oh, sorry, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we clarified that earlier. <laughs> I, I, I was so, I'm so upset by the allegation, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot my, um, Well, can I say that question is better put to someone who can answer it? Because on his behalf, it's the kind of question I can't answer. And that member should surely understand that. Of course, if she was in my place, she'd make an answer anyway. But that's not the way we roll over here. Honourable Nicole McKay. Thank you. Uh, does the Prime Minister, or is the Prime Minister aware that members of the Muslim community actually sit on the Ministerial Arms Advisory Group and are part of the solution to the Arms Act repeal? Uh, on behalf of the Prime Minister, I am totally excited to have learnt that great information. That concludes oral questions.